Welcome to the Dear Menopause podcast, where we discuss the menopause transition to help make everyday life a little easier for women. Hi, I'm Sonia Lovell. I am a menopause campaigner, a podcast host, and a serious lover of books and dark chocolate. But today, we are here to chat to Rachel Layton. Rachel is an alcohol coach, but she's not here to chat to convince you that you have to give up drinking alcohol. We're going to talk about the journey that Rachel went on that convinced her that she needed to change the relationship that she had with alcohol and now as a result is what she is helping other women do. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Sonia. Always a pleasure. I love having my guests on. Rachel, why don't we kick things off? Tell the beautiful ladies that are listening to us today who you are and a little bit about why you're here. Okay. So my name's Rachel Layton. I'm um, a midlife woman. I'm about to turn 55 this year. I don't feel 55. Um, And in my 40s, I started to question my drinking. So I always thought of myself as a normal drinker, inverted commas, um, and I drank like everybody else. But it was starting to creep up on me. Um, My tolerance was increasing um, and I became concerned, I guess, because of the side effects of it. You know, the older we get, the more we feel um, the effects of, of drinking. And then the greater your tolerance is, the more alcohol you're consuming, more in your body, great effects, you know, so the vicious cycle. So there were two things. COVID, I increased my drinking because of that. You know, I wasn't a, a daily drinker by any means, but because of the stresses of COVID and and working from home and doing all of those things, it was kind of like all all bets were off. Um, So I started to increase the number of days that I was drinking and that was starting to worry me. So, and then perimenopause, I I made the connection and it took me longer than probably should have to realise that every time I drank um, or the nights that I did drink, I would have you know, that the side effects would be worse. And when I wasn't drinking or if I took a break, I wouldn't have um, as much of the effect of drinking that I did. Um, so, so before we I jump in any to... further, sorry, interrupting, before we jump in any further, because you've mentioned it a couple of times now, let's dig into what those side effects actually were for you that you were experiencing sure. that were sure. probably a little combination of perimenopause and your drinking. Yeah, and th- and that's a difficult thing, and I think it's a difficult thing with perimenopause anyway. You put a lot of things down to um, the fact that you're in perimenopause. So um, the big things for me were um, sleep. So I'd be waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, not being able to get back to sleep, that whole insomnia thing, but that worry as well, that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slack moods as well, so um, the effect on my mood. And then the um, hot flushes as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, and that's when I realised, you know, the hot flushes would be worse, the, the, definitely the sleeping and, and the mood. I think they were the three key things. And was your um, mood like the day after? So kind of if you had a few drinks, let's say on a Tuesday night, you had that rubbish sleep on a Tuesday night and then the Wednesday you noticed that your mood was kind of a bit flat. Yes, exactly. And I thought, oh, well, that's just hormonal um, fluctuations. Um, but when I did 
decided to take a break from drinking and when I did um, do some more research into it, I realised that that was just not perimenopause. They were also side effects of drinking. And things that I had explained away by hormonal changes, I started to realise, hang on a minute, the drinking isn't helping this and, in fact, it's making it worse. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's um, you know, my personal experience and the experience that I've heard many times from women I've spoken to is it's that exacerbation of the um, the perimenopausal symptoms that um, the alcohol causes. So the, the I, I found personally, and maybe your experience was the same, that I'd have literally the first sip of my white wine it was the worst for me. Um, I would literally flush from head to toe almost immediately. And it took me a while to join those dots together as well and go, hang on a second, I'm getting a hot flush and I'm drinking. Hmm, wonder if there's a correlation here. Yeah. So it's it's that you're having the perimenopause symptoms because you're in perimenopause, but then the, the alcohol um, is actually exacerbating those. Yeah. I talk about it in terms of adding fuel to the fire. And I was quite surprised. Literally. You know, I gave up drinking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And um, when I stopped drinking, um, it was for a number of reasons, one of which was that, but I didn't expect the um, the lessening of the symptoms to be so so great, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I still had some hot flushes, don't get me wrong, you know, mood fluctuation, but nothing like that. And, and also the sleep. The sleep was, you know, being able to, <laughs> I sound like a baby, being able to sleep through the night, through the night. magic, yeah. you know. And and we all know what good sleep does in terms of, you know, the health benefits, mood benefits. So, um, yeah, it was amazing. So even now, you know, I will talk to friends who are in this age group and a lot of them about that, about the menopause stuff, and they'll come back to me and say, hey, I've, you know, gone off the red wine, say, or I've taken a break during the week. So they haven't decided to stop altogether, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they've cut back and they've gone, you know what? my um symptoms have just decreased i'm like yeah you know it it really does add fuel to the fire yeah absolutely so you decided to take a break from drinking what did that look like for you what was your process of taking a break yeah and it wasn't when i say i took a break it wasn't as easy as just waking up one day and deciding it actually took me ages um to come to that realization so i talk about covid and perimenopause being the two straws that broke the camel's back but mm-hmm. um you know and i was over 50 when i i decided to take a break but for a number of years i had questioned and tried to cut back on my drinking and found it difficult and i i wasn't i didn't know why you know i was very disciplined in so many other ways of my life why why didn't I and so I did a lot of reading a lot of um delving into it and um I decided I couldn't say never because I just felt that that was too severe to give up drinking that just didn't sit well with me I didn't think I had a problem I hadn't I I did think I had a problem sorry I didn't think I'd hit rock bottom. So the messaging yeah. is unless you've, you know, hit some sort of rock bottom, you know, you've you've had this, you know, blown up your life basically, giving up drinking is too drastic. So that was always in my head, but trying to cut back was so difficult. And so I had this sort of, you know, I don't want to stop drinking altogether. 
So anyway, I did a lot of work and a lot of um, research and reading and and listening to various podcasts. I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a three-month break and see if it makes a difference. See how it impacts my sleep, my health, perimenopause, all those things. And, And I just didn't want to say forever. And um, and I did a lot of work on on my mindset around drinking, you know, um, and and that's what I work with women now. I, I'm now called coach. So and again, I'm going to of- ask you to just go back a mm. step. When you say that you did yeah. a lot of work on your mindset, what does that mean? Did you work with a coach? Did you work with someone else? Did you join a support group? Like, kind of, how did you work on that mindset side of things? Yeah. I, I didn't, um, and that's why I became a coach because I didn't realize there was such a thing as an alcohol coach. But um, what I did do was I read a lot and I listened to a lot of podcasts and I started to delve into it. So um, the book that really changed things for me was called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Mm-hmm. And so that that approach is different to this idea of using willpower and deprivation. Um, into So I looked at things like, Um, these really deep-seated beliefs around drinking, like drinking relieves my stress. So at the time I had, you know, teenage kids, I had a busy job, I'd had um, lots of things that had happened in my life. And drinking had moved from being just, you know, um, a social thing to helping me relieve the stress, helping me to take the edge off to um, unwind and and even socialize you know yeah socializing was very much around you know having drinks with you know going out to dinner with my partner or socializing with the girls and so I I had to what I call it um, uncouple those beliefs so I really believed you couldn't go on holidays or you couldn't celebrate or you couldn't de-stress without a drink and then I started questioning it and going, actually, drinking is adding to my stress because of the waking up in the middle of the night, because of worrying about what it was doing to my health, because of those lower moods and lower energy. Mm-hmm. And so I started questioning all these things that I just believed were, you know, the benefits of of drinking. And I started to almost step back from it as and be very, very objective about it and go, hang on a minute, is it really um, helping me to distress? Is it really helping me, you know, uh, relax and unwind and socialise? And I think the thing with alcohol is that because it has that immediate effect and it does, you know, have that what I call the ah feeling. So you have, a, mm-hmm. you know, a glass of wine, but white wine was my um, drink of choice. Um and you would feel that, but then the counter effects of that. It's very short lived, isn't it? But I, I think like- that, you know, I think there's um, perhaps a serotonin um, release involved in that. And you do literally get that physical relaxation, letting go. You know, like I totally relate that with that first mouthful of the first drink. Um, but I think, and it's, it's, quite an intense feeling. It's a good feeling, but it's an intense feeling. And I think that because that is such a powerful release that you then don't put as much weight on how the second, third, and fourth mouthfuls actually then make you feel. Does that make sense? What I'm saying that it's like at that initial instantaneous, oh my God, yes, I so needed this, then overwhelms the fact that actually you don't get that same 
impact with the next few mouthfuls. No. And and the way it works, and I won't go too much into the science of it, is um, because it is a depressant, it, alcohol is funny, it's a depressant and a stimulant, right? So it will have that de- um, depressant effect on you. So that first 20 minutes is when you're doing the, oh, and it takes the edge off. Mm-hmm. But after that, it wears off because your body tries to counteract that. It's like, you know, when we're hot, we sweat. The body tries to get back to a state of balance. So we've, we've, we've depressed it artificially. So it, it pumps in or, or our body pumps into our, um, ourselves, um, things like cortisol and stress mm-hmm. hormones. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning. And as you say, the second and third and fourth drink doesn't have the same effect as that first one. That first one wears off after 20 minutes, but we don't know because we just go to the second or the third or the whatever. And then it's only when that alcohol comes out of our system, but we've got all these other things coursing through our body trying to get us back to balance. And so, and we're doing that vicious cycle all the time. So, and and the other part of it, that serotonin that you were talking about, um, it is that hit, that that pleasure hit, you know, that feel mm. good hit. Yeah. That, that's why we keep going back to it because we yeah. go, well, it works, but yeah. it's short term, unfortunately. Exactly. So, mm. so you did your three months of Mm -hmm. taking a break, which was easier than saying, I'm doing this forever. How did did you manage those three months? Because from what you're telling me, you weren't working with a coach or doing a program or anything at that point. You were just doing this by yourself. So did you you introduce uh, a replacement, something else to replace that drink, or did you kind of just go cold turkey? Like what was your process? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, no, I the process was that, that I did introduce other things and that's what I um, encourage other people who are thinking about doing this because if you're using alcohol in the way that I was to meet certain needs, if you take it out and you're not meeting those needs, for example, to de-stress, yep. then it's, it's not going to take you long to go, well, this sucks. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> go and have a drink because I don't want to deal with stress. So yes, I definitely did. One of the big things for me was um, alcohol-free drinks. So yeah. I wanted to feel because the other reason I would have a drink at the end of the day was a treat. You know, it was mm. like I'm treating myself to yeah. something nice, something adult. That was another belief I had to unpack and go, well, it's not really treating me that well if I'm getting no. things, you know, <laughs> things. But at the time. It's a very one-sided it treat. <laughs> it is very one-sided treat. Um, but, yeah, so I would um, I would get some alcohol-free drinks and I tried various um, ones. I used to be a white wine drinker. I don't necessarily um, drink the alcohol-free white wines, but I tried, yeah, I tried, there's some beautiful botanicals out there and some alcohol-free type gins and even beer. I wasn't even a beer drinker. And so that was a bit of fun. Like I would try out different things. Um, There's so many alcohol-free drinks on the market um, uh, now and it's just increasing. And I know you've spoken to Irene from Sam's Drinks. She does, you know, a great range. There's so many out there. Yeah, and Um, so that was made it so much easier for 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 humans, I was going to say for women, but really it's made it easier for humans to either take a break or to actually facilitate that move away completely from drinking. And, you know, going back to what you were talking about with, you know, you felt like you were treating yourself at the end of the day, it's, it's a ritual and it's a ritual that we need to continue. We just need to, to replace what is in the glass basically, so that you're still getting that same, um, 
psychological benefit, I guess, from maintaining that that ritual. Absolutely, absolutely. And it it helps too with socialising because socialising was a big thing. I thought, well, what's going to happen when I go out? I don't want to be this person who's sitting on a glass of water Mm. and, you know, I don't want to be boring. I don't want to be that, you know, um, person who, you know. Um, But when you're able to, lots of places have alcohol-free options now anyway, Um, and if I'm going to somebody's place, I will take, um, you know, like this, amazing sparkling wine so i'll take um you know a champers but it's a alcohol free sparkling wine and there's some lovely ones of those so i don't feel that i'm missing out at all um but some of the other things in terms of the stress i um you know meditation is a good one Mm -hmm. um journaling is good i don't journal every day but if i'm really stressed that's um one way that i I do it. I've always exercised, but um, you know, exercise is, is brilliant for that. Um, and and just doing different things, you know, being creative. I um I'm not very artistic, but I got into adult paint by numbers and it's very, yeah, very um uh intricate. You know, you have really small little spaces and and you can do these great pictures and it takes ages, but I put on a podcast, pour myself an alcohol-free um drink, and just, you know, do that for as little as 15 minutes, but you can do it for a couple of hours. And something like that, where I was getting that feel good, I was I was losing myself in the moment, um, yeah. de-stressing in, in, in a very natural way. Um and then I could, you know, I could do as little of it or as much of it as I wanted to. And I was starting to tune into it going, oh, all these other things I can do are de-stressing me. I don't need to to drink because that was increasing my stress, to be honest. And when I was honest with myself about that, I'd start to realize, hang on a minute, I'm kidding myself if I think this is helping me de-stress. Yeah, yeah, so, so true. So let's move into, so I, I want to take us to the part where you actually do move into making coaching other women to or, or other other people to to become um, alcohol-free as a career. But before we get there, I'd love to hear what you feel were, other than the whole stress management perspective, what other, you know, benefits you've you've experienced as a result of not not drinking anymore? Oh, I think it's big, uh, you know, so many benefits. And some of them I talk about, you know, the benefits that I didn't even realize. So this confidence in terms of um, you don't need alcohol as a crutch to go out, you know, the socializing thing. I thought, well, I could never do that. Um, it, it's one of those things where once you do it, you go, well, if I can do this, I can do lots of other things. So, and because you've got more energy and more time, I'm I'm doing more things. And I've found that women in midlife, we're looking for the, well, what next, you know, or what else can I add to my life? This is kind of um, a period where we can treat ourselves almost and be a bit more selfish, particularly women, you know, who've had children and been in that, you know, um, selfless period of their life. So I found because I wasn't drinking that I was able to go, well, what do I want to do? What What's interesting to me? Um, I've always liked travel. So I, you know, obviously COVID um, put the kibosh on that a little bit, but, um, you know, traveling is great. And 
And while I was drinking, that was good, but it it actually restricted me in a lot of ways because if you're not feeling great the next day, you know, after having a few drinks, and when you go on holidays, you drink more. You do. It's where you do tend to, you kind of like even kick into drinking even more because you're, well, I'm relaxed and I'm on holidays and there are no rules. And so, and you know, you're lying by the pool having a daiquiri at midday and, you know, that it does really create an environment where we often drink more but you're right when you realize how good you feel when you're not drinking you realize like wow there's I could have like been doing so much more when I was on my holiday than just nursing a hangover by the pool absolutely and that's what I found I was doing more things I was I was getting involved in more stuff so instead of taking away which was one of my big fears it was actually opening it up for other things you know even fitness and fitness has always been important to me but I knew that it was taking its toll I wasn't you know waking up the next day and going for a run or a walk or gym session or whatever after you've been drinking it's so much harder um and you know I would push through it but um yeah so there were lots of lots of benefits like that and it opened up so many things awesome so then the next step from that is obviously you chose to make a career out of this. So talk us through that. Yeah. So um, I, as I said, when I went through it, I was doing a lot of breeding. I was doing a lot of work. And then I found out that there was this thing called alcohol coaches and I had never heard of an alcohol coach. And I was like, oh, I wish I had known. I would have gone to somebody like that because, you know, I worked out that it was probably five or six years that I had been going you know, how do I deal with this? I'm trying to cut back. It's not working. Why is it not working? And um, and they say that that is quite common for um, it to be around the six-year mark, that people start becoming aware of their drinking, start to want to pull back from it, um, but then they get into this stage where they're struggling with it. So um, anyway, I trained This Naked Mind was a book that actually helped me shift my thinking um, and I trained through them as an alcohol mindset coach. So I'm certified with them and um, and now work one-on-one with women, um, women over 40 um, I work with. Mm-hmm. who um, are in the same place. Usually they are high achieving, goal oriented. They, you know, and drinking just creeps up on them and they use it in a similar way that I did in terms of stress relief. Sometimes it's boredom, they see yep. it as a treat, you know, all those things. So, and women in our age group, it is, um, we are um, a group that is, um, is higher level. So you think that, you know, people who are drinking at higher levels are younger people, but younger people are actually drinking less and less. They are, the yeah. No, and, I know that's fascinating, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's at this age that women, and it, it's probably because of the health stuff, um, menopause stuff they're all suddenly going oh my gosh you know maybe maybe my drinking isn't uh doing me any favors and it's when they start to uh try to stop or to cut back I work with women to cut back and to stop yeah it's not just to stop yeah and how long so you Um, you say you work with women one-on-one so how long um is you know a general kind of coaching program 
take with you for, to kind of support a woman through those processes? It really depends what stage they're at because when a lot of people come to me, they've they've been delving into this like I did and questioning it, reading stuff. So it depends what stage they're at. I, I say to women um, to to dedicate at least six sessions to it because, Mm -hmm. you know, we've had decades of drinking um, and it's not just our internal thoughts. It's also, you know, marketed to us. It's, you know, a societal thing. pressure, societal, yeah, it's exactly what's modelled to us from society. Advertising and is just rampant marketing. Um, yeah, it's it's something that is in your face every day, and and it's such a big part of our, of particularly here in Australia, our social lives. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I say to people, one of the jokes that came out around COVID was, um, you know, when when all of this is over, as in COVID, I don't know which meeting I'll go to first, um, Weight Watchers or Alcoholics Anonymous. And I used to, and I was drinking at that time, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I can relate to that. But it's, you know, it it, it was funny because it was kind of getting too close to the bone it was very close to the bone yeah yeah exactly and so um yeah so I say to people um yeah at least um six sessions to try and because it is mindset it's not a quick fix it's a mindset shift but generally when women um come to me to talk to me it's often um it, it brings up some of the other things because at midlife, and you would know this in the work that you do, um, it is a crossroads time for a lot mm. of women. So, um, and and often that's why w- women's drinking increases at this time. You know, there's there's stuff going on in our lives. Um, so it's we work through all of it because it doesn't happen in a vacuum, does yeah, it? You know, it's no. all the stuff that's happening. I don't, nothing so. in a woman's life happens in a vacuum. You know, you're right. We have to be so cognizant of the fact that, you know, and you, you touched on this earlier, that women are um, parents predominantly, not all, but predominantly a lot of women are parents and the age of those children will ver- will be varying. There's still a lot of women in their midlife years that are just starting families or have very, very young families um, or they're like us and have got the children that are older and, um, you know, you're still parenting them, but um, it's just yeah. a different phase. Um, but then they're also holding down jobs where, very, you know, very likely to have returned to the workplace, be, be holding down a job. Um and there's the aging parent um, kind of factor starting to come in as well. And many women, you know, I am constantly surprised by how many of my clients in my gym who are, you know, all women pretty much 40 plus, how many of them are caring for aging parents on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, and they're also all those things, holding down jobs, they've got kids or they've got grandkids. I've got a couple that are, you know, in their 50s, but they've got grandkids um, as well as the aging parents and holding down jobs. And I just go, we have so much I on know. our plate, so much on our plate. And you're right, nothing can ha- happen in a vacuum. So it's great to hear that you do work on all, you know, that very holistic overview of a woman's life because everything is intertwined and, and interconnected. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's important to understand that because it's not just, you know, swapping out. If it was as easy as swapping out, say, your your wine with another alcohol-free drink, then, you know, everyone would do it. But it's not that simple. And that's no. why we talk about mindset because there's a whole lot going on. Um, and um, 
it's the emotional people have this psychological or emotional attachment to alcohol and it's getting to the nub of that um yeah so it is very interesting and I love working with women um of this age one because I am a woman of this age but (laughs) women of this age are interesting you know awesome experience we're awesome awesome and I think you know one of the things that you also touched on earlier is we are in this very um uh blessed place um of often being able to kind of take stock. It's like you do a little stock take of your life and go, okay, what's working for me? What's worked for me for the last 40 to 50 years? What hasn't? What do I want to change? Because if this truly is my midlife, then I've got another 40 to 50 years ahead of me. What do I want those years to look like? How do I want to show up in the world? How do I want to feel? How do I want to be able to function? What do I want to be able to achieve? What sort of human do I want to be? And I feel like it's just this beautiful midpoint where we are gifted some space um, to make some decisions around how we move forward into that second half of our life. I actually was um, I was listening to a brilliant podcast during the week, which was Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Jane Fonda. And, um, oh, my gosh, it was the most amazing conversation between the two of them. Highly recommend everybody goes and listens to it. It's on Julia Louis-Dreyfus's new podcast, um, Wiser Than Me, I think it's called. So the concept is she's interviewing women that she believes are wiser than her so that she can gain knowledge and, and wisdom from them. So Jane Fonda was one of her first interviews. And Jane Fonda, they talk about this brilliant concept of um, where Jane Fonda talks about moving into her third act, which she said you know, was from 60 onwards. And, um, you know, they equate it to it's actually an acting analogy. And, you know, I don't know a whole much about the acting world, but apparently the third act in acting is a particular period where you're, um, I suppose, pulling everything together and Anyway, she equates this to this third act and, you know, she she just talks so succinctly about her life in these three specific acts and, um, and you know, she did exactly, I think she called it a life review when she, I think she was 60 and she went, so what do I want the next, you know, 30 years, say, to look like? I think she's 85 now. So she's, um, you know, well on her way towards that end of, you know, the third act. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, this this just this whole concept of taking a life review or a stock take or whatever you want to call it and going, right, so this is what I want for me moving forward from here. And I think that's what we get the opportunity to do here at a midpoint and maybe we can do it again in another 20 years. Yeah. And it's interesting you should bring up Jane Fonda because she has recently, I think in the last few years, decided not to um, drink anymore because she realised, and she's, you know, such a... Um, healthy person anyway um but um yeah i love the sound of that podcast because i love both of those uh, oh, women so powerhouses. amazing amazing yeah but it's like you know i'm at the stage of my life where i see um people having health issues and um we you know want to do everything we can to preserve our mental and physical health and I want to have the energy and I want to do things and I just want to, it's it's almost a time of freedom as well. So I see it as yeah. freedom and I don't want anything holding me back. Um, so 
I flipped the switch on on drinking. Really, I thought drinking was just a part of that, and it was part of the fun, and it was it was helping me. It was actually getting in my way. So mm. moving it to the side has helped me get a bit more clarity around it and go, well, what do I really want for this next stage of my life? And I love that that it's yeah. you know awesome able to do that. So if there's a woman listening today and she's thinking some of this conversation is resonating with her and she's thinking, mm, actually, you know what, there is actually something here for me. What would you recommend is the first kind of step that she would take towards making some changes? Yeah, I think um, becoming educated about it. So starting to read things, listen, there's plenty of podcasts out there. There's um, on Instagram, there's um, a lot of people who post um, uh, this type of content. I do um, a free newsletter every week. So happy to have people sign up for that. Um, but just to get educated and to start questioning, because I never questioned it. I just, mm. you know, that's what everyone did. You know, I think you said that before, you know, you just drink and start to be, become a bit mindful about your drinking and going, oh, if I'm using this as a treat or if I'm using this to um, de-stress, is it really doing all of that? Doing those things, um, yeah. That's quite powerful. Yes, very powerful. Yeah, so bring in that curiosity. I think that's brilliant. And yeah, yeah, a great advice. Rachel, it's been wonderful to chat to you. I love stories where women have gone on their own little, little personal adventures and um, you know, done the deep diving and you did all of that by yourself, which you know, I take my hat off to you, is never easy and takes a lot of um tenacity and 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 confidence in yourself as well to be able to, you know and now be in a place where you've flipped that completely to where you're helping other women. So love, love, love this story. Um, Rachel, why don't we finish up? Tell me what you are reading, listening to, or watching right now that is bringing you joy. I have just finished reading Kate Morton's latest book called Homecoming. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the books where you know how it, it's getting late at night and you've got to go to bed and you're like, no, I'll just, I'll read the next bit. I'll read the next bit. I knew I was close to the end. And then I woke up early and it's like, oh, I'll just read this bit. So it was one of those books. And then when you finish, you're you're almost disappointed. So I would highly recommend that. Um, but in terms of listening to, um, and this goes back to your question about any tips for women, um, there's plenty of podcasts out there too um, around drinking and This Naked Mind, which is a book, but also there is a podcast, This Naked Mind. There's a lot of stories, um, personal stories, people being interviewed. Um, and then if you want um, a couple of Australian ones, there's She's Sober Sydney is another podcast and their fellow This Naked Mind coaches like me mm-hmm. and Last Drinks. Maz Compton often um, interviews people. So there's a few good podcasts out there too if people are interested in this topic. Yeah, awesome. I'm familiar with one as well called Sober Awkward. Um, yes, Sober Awkward. Sober Awkward, yeah. Um, that's uh, They're two friends, I believe, um, guy and a girl, and, uh, yeah, a very hilarious. I think they're actually friends of a friend of mine, which was how I found out about them. But, um, yeah, they're, they're um, I believe, got a very good podcast as well. So there is an yeah. incredible movement out there, and it's great to to, um, to to come across so many, you know, like-minded women that are a part of that. So, Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. I will link through in the show notes to your website, your Instagram, where everybody can contact you, and, of course, the different resources that we've talked about today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening today. I am so grateful to have these conversations with incredible women and experts. And I'm grateful that you chose to hit play on this episode of Dear Menopause. If you have a minute of time today, please leave a rating or a review. I would love to hear from you because you are my biggest driver for doing this work. If this chat went way too fast for you and you want more, head over to stellawomen.com.au slash podcast for the show notes. And while you're there, take my midlife quiz to see why it feels like midlife is messing with your head. 